Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 52-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Running the option on first down. it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Five-step drop. Zeffo. Lufau wants the deep ball. Lufau will take a shot downfield, and it is handed by Bryce Bubba. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster, Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com. Joined, as always, by fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, 100-14. to 14. That's the amount of points that Colorado outscored their first two opponents. Ideal start? I jinxed it because I tweeted the 100 emoji and we immediately gave up a touchdown. So I apologize for that. But yeah, I was just hyped that we had 100 points, two games. Pretty good. Anytime you can average 50 points a game, I don't care. As I, again, tweeted, I don't care if you're playing the New Mexico School of the Blind. We're not beating too many teams 100 to 14 in two weeks in years past. So no matter the level of competition, I think we definitely have shown some progress. Makes you wonder, though, how many points they could have scored if they had kept the first teamers in there and kept the uh, tempo going. Unlimited. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like they didn't even really get going until midway through the first quarter. I mean, if you left them in the whole game, I think they probably could have hit 100 if they really wanted yeah. to. We know this is not going to continue going forward, especially this week going out to Michigan. But after two weeks, I mean, they rank first nationally in total defense, seventh in total offense. Maybe even more impressive than the score differential is the fact they outgained their first two opponents by 854 combined yards. Yeah, that's just insane. I mean, the one stat that I've, I've seen people talk about it a little bit, but I would think that they're first in the nation in this as well. They've given up a less than 100 yards passing total in two games. Um, not only is that incredible in its own right, but you have to keep in mind, we've been up by 30 for a majority of both of these games, and still teams weren't able to pass on us. Uh, with the backups in, I mean, you know, there's a little complacency that comes into that, and plus teams are just passing the ball a lot when you're down that much typically. To give up less than 50 yards of passing in Two games is just absolutely insane on average. Yeah, and, and a big topic for us going into last week's game was when does Steven Montes see action? When mm -hmm. can they get Cepho Lufa out of there? And I think there was kind of this general feeling that if they could start the second half with Steven Montes out, out there, it would be considered a success. And they actually did even better than that. He comes into the game with 149 left in the first half, and he engineers two scoring drives, both touchdown passes to KB on Into. Ends up completing 6 of 10 passes for 117 yards, rushed for 34 yards, had a, a nice, I think about a 15-yard gainer in mm -hmm. there. Didn't turn the ball over, but it's against Idaho State. How much, if any, stock do you put into that? Um, probably not a whole lot overall, but I mean, you have to feel good. I think a lot of people are questioning how good he really was. We've seen it on the board the last couple of weeks, like, oh, what's going on? We haven't heard a lot about him. We had a question on it last week on the podcast. And I think at the very least, you come out of that game realizing he's really competent. 
I mean, he's got great arm talent. That was confirmed. Throws the ball really hard. Can move the move in the pocket. I think you saw they ran some of those same plays they run with Cephal, and they look a lot more fluid with him out there. He's got great speed. And, I mean, I thought he did overall pretty well. They had a lot of the backup linemen in and struggled to give him some protection. It would have been interesting to see, though, if they had the first string line in there, what he could have done. I think that was really the only thing holding him back from really completing on a few more drives and scoring some more points. So I thought he looked great. You know, it doesn't mean I'm ready for him to start against Oregon if Cepho gets hurt. But I, I think it was, you know, for, for the first real game action for him, you have to feel pretty good about how he played, I would think. I would think one area that he's going to try to improve on as he gets more and more experience is just anticipating when guys are going to get open. It seemed like he kind of fell into that Colin Kaepernick thing of doing uh, – he's got such a strong arm that he would almost wait for his receiver to get open mm-hmm. and then gut it in there. I think just kind of the poise of – and I think that will come with, with more playing time. But I definitely think you had to be encouraged. Any other takeaways from, from that Idaho State contest? Um, I mean, they're not a good football team, obviously. But anytime you can execute like that – is always a great sign. I mean, it's, you know, we haven't seen us dominate really too many teams like that in the last 10 years. So you take it and you enjoy it while while it's there. You know, you've seen a lot of teams, especially in the first two weeks, really struggle to step up against FCS opponents. Georgia barely beat Nickel State, a team we've played recently. Um, teams have lost, too. I mean, that's an issue that we've had in the past, really just struggling to get up for those big games. And we didn't have any of that. Um, in the first two games for us, I mean, they really buried both teams, which is a great sign, a little more of a killer instinct than the teams we've seen in the past. Yeah, they always talk about that. We're trying to go 1-0 and every week, and you can just see this team actually is bought into that 100% mm-hmm. based off their actions in these first two games. Another thing, a positive, is although Sam Cronsage got a little banged up in that game, another game where you get through without any major injuries, you're even able to keep Derek McCartney and Alex Kelly out with ankle injuries to get them healthy for this Michigan game. So another positive to take from there. Moving ahead to this week's game at Michigan, Michigan favored between 19.5 points uh, to 20.5 points based off what I've seen based on the on the book. They outscored their first two opponents 114-17. to 17. As I wrote, obviously something has to give here this Saturday, yeah. and it makes sense that everybody expects the giving to, to be on Colorado's end in terms yeah. of the, yeah, I mean, the history of these programs. Yeah, definitely. Sure. I mean, not not even just the history. I mean, they have a lot of NFL talent. I mean, there's a reason they're ranked number four in the country. They have, I mean, Jabril Peppers and Jake Butt on each side of the ball are really, really, really good. Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, I think the 20-point cushion on the road shows that Vegas is starting to believe in us a little bit. I mean, Michigan's going to beat a lot of teams by more than 20 at home this year. Um, they might beat us by that as well. But in the last few years, I mean, this spread would have been... 14, 17 points higher maybe, and maybe not last year, but the few years before that. I mean, I think that's a big dramatic increase in a few uh, short years. So to me, um, they're definitely giving us a little bit of respect. It's a tough first true road test, obviously. You know, I'm not going to get too crazy with the predictions or anything, but, you know, have you know, I'm going to have a positive attitude going in. Hopefully they shock the world, shock me, shock everybody. But, uh, I mean, I think for now, just, just competing would be a great first step. We've seen since Rick George came in that they've been successful in scheduling home and homes with pretty legit programs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the SEC and Big Big Twelve, and uh, that's the way you're supposed to do it if you're a program like Colorado, right? Yeah. Was it a boneheaded decision and a B O H N headed decision to <laughs> schedule this just for a payday? They get 1.4 million, and they don't, but they don't get a return trip from Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I think where we were at the time. 
it made sense. Um, I mean, it's a cool experience for me. I get to go to the game, so I'm not going to complain about it. Uh, yeah, you would like to have had a return trip, but, um, you know, I mean, it's, I don't, people are looking at it as like, oh, it screwed our chances to make a bowl. I mean, I don't know. I don't really like the whole, we're going to play nobody and try to sneak our way into a bowl. So, I mean, I don't, I don't mind playing somebody that's nationally prestigious in your non-conference schedule. I think that's important. Um, you know, could it end up biting us and we go five and seven? Maybe, but it's an important step as part of a growth as a program to be able to play these elite level teams. I mean, there's it's arguable that they're the best team we're going to play this year. So I think that's important long-term. I don't think either of us uh, with our video preview are going to predict Colorado to win this football game, but would there be any greater feeling for a program to get a $1.4 million check and pull off an upset? I'm burning Ann Arbor to the ground. If that happens, and then I'm going to call all my friends from Ohio and tell them that I did it, they'll all be really happy with me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if that happens, it's going to be a wild weekend. I might have to come back a few days late. Um, we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, of course, if that happens, Boulder's going to be rocking this weekend. Uh, but I think, honestly, people should be pretty ecstatic if we just show that we can compete with a team like this in their own build, in their own building. So you're going out to Ann Arbor. You've mentioned that a couple times. Uh, kind of set the scene for us as our fan correspondent. Uh, well, I don't really know what to expect, honestly. Um, we're, I'm leaving tomorrow morning, so that's Thursday morning for those of you, depending on when you listen. Flying out there with a bunch of my buddies few of their wives, few of their girlfriends. Uh, there's 13 people staying in the house. We have another group of guys that are coming out and a few other random buddies and friends that are going to be there as well. So it sounds like there's going to be a pretty good bus contingent. Um, we don't have much of a plan in terms of tailgating outside of we're going to be at our house for a while. It's walking distance to the stadium, supposedly. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, though. I got a couple buddies from college who have uh, a lot of family who went to school in Ann Arbor, so we've gotten a lot of good suggestions about what we're going to do. Once we uh, break down... The game plan, shall we say, a little bit more. I'll start tweeting stuff out if they want to come meet up with us. I mean, we always love to meet the bus. How old are you now, Tyler? 29. 29. So you're in that phase of transitioning from Animal House-style parties to a little <laughs> bit more sophistication, I would no, imagine. No, not when I'm on this trip. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like in normal life, yes. But we do a pretty good job of like bringing it back to college-level okay. debauchery um, for, the, for, the, for the road trips. We saved the best for like Vegas and Michigan. We were in Toronto a couple weeks ago. I talked about that too. We we get after it. We have some fun. All right. All right. Well, Colorado last Saturday before the Idaho State game, the, the men's basketball program gets two four-star commits. So I think you know what that means, Tyler. Yeah, I can't wait. Commitments. 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 So the first news that comes out of that is Tyler Bay at 9.45 a.m. verbally commits to Colorado. And then Deshaun Schwartz, I want to say about an hour later, I was at the gym. I was running on the treadmill. And the great thing about smartphones is you actually yeah. can do work while you're getting a workout. And it's kind of cool. Huge day. Huge day for Colorado. Yeah. Colorado, as, as I wrote, had brought in, I think, 14 blue chip recruits on visits. They've obviously signed some of them. But to get two to come in on the same day, and then you have a third in Evan Batty that uh, seems to to have liked his trip quite a bit. I mean, it's a pretty monumental day for the, the future of that program. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually tweeted out pretty much a week before the visit that I felt like it was really sneaking up on people. Like, we hadn't seen it covered a whole lot, and of course, everybody started covering it after that, but that's a different story. 
Yeah, I mean, it's huge for the program. I don't. I, I still feel like people have kind of undersold it. People have not gone as crazy as I would have expected. There are not a lot of four stars in basketball. Not like football. They're, you know, for the most part, there's a little over 100 a year. We have two of them already. Um, we're sitting number 15 in scouts team recruiting rankings for 2017 in basketball right now. That's huge. And not only that, I think both of these guys have huge upside. Like, there's potential for both of these kids to really outperform their ranking. So, I mean, you have to feel really good about where this is headed. Um, a lot of those, Tad Boyle isn't the man for this job and can't recruit as well as he needs to to be successful in the Pac-12 guys have taken a few weeks off, I would expect. Yeah, if you're going to recruit clean like they do, landing guys like Deshaun Schwartz and Tyler Bay that are kind of on the back end of that top 100, that's about as good as you're honestly going to be able to do. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, I mean, until you start getting into those sweet 16s and really building yourself up farther. But I think they do have good, a really good job of finding guys that fit the program. I mean, Bay and Schwartz fit exactly into what Boyle loves to do. Um, both offensively and defensively. Perfect fits for that system, and he's always done a really good job of finding guys who really fit what he wants to do. So, you know, maybe they are raked in the 80s or the 110s, depending on who you're talking to. There's a, Basketball, especially as a sport, fit is huge, just as huge as anything else. And uh, getting these guys into the right system bumps them up at least 20, 25 spots, in my opinion, as well. I, I think both these guys are going to be extremely successful here. I mentioned Evan Batty. Uh, he's yet to decide. He's got a couple more visits coming up. And then Ethan Chargois from Tulsa, uh, another big man prospect, a versatile kind of a stretch type of guy, uh, is a high three-star, a three-star, I guess, on scout. They don't really differentiate, but he's pretty highly regarded as well. If they got one of those two guys, do you think this would be Boyle's best class at CU? I probably wouldn't be their highest ranked because they've had – I mean, the Josh Scott one obviously was huge as well um, with Xavier, um, both of those guys coming in together. But um, – it would, it would be up there for sure. I mean, you never know until until but, they play, but I, I think it would be definitely w with that class in the top two. They were ranked, though, I, I want to say, what, 20 in the 20s? That yeah, year. I mean, well, yeah, the, there's a lot of prospects still available in basketball. You have to keep that in mind, too. Yeah. So I'm, if they get three guys... The 15 right now, if they got one of those two guys, don't you think that would guarantee them a top 25 class? Mm, probably not. It'd be close. It'd be close. Even it if depends. it was Batty, that'd be three, four stars. Yeah, I mean, if it was Batty, probably, yes, Chardois would not be as guaranteed. It's just, I mean, it, the thing about basketball is, like, the top 30 teams usually get all of the good guys. It's not quite like in... Uh, in football, you know, they kind of spread around a little bit more. I mean, you're going to see, like, the top 20 classes are all, like, guys with five stars and then four stars. Um, so so you move down a little bit. But, I mean, being a top, let's say, 25, 30, somewhere in that range class is huge. I mean, that puts you in the top half of the Pac-12 most likely. You do that a couple years in a row, you're a team that's going to probably be a Sweet 16-type level team because most of the guys that we have on our squad are not going to leave early for the NBA. This is not meant as a shot at Deshaun Schwartz, as he's rated highly by across the board. But I think Tyler Bay is the biggest get there. And I think it comes down to the fact that since Andre Robertson left, you haven't really had that yeah. one perimeter lockdown defender. Tyler Bay is going to do that job. You're just going to point to the best player on the other team and say, go stop him. And he's going to... Based off everything we've seen from him, there's some things about offense that you don't know are going to translate to the next level. Defensively, I think it's a pretty, pretty, yeah. pretty much a sure thing that he's going to be an elite player on that end of the court. Yeah, people say the same about rebounding. Re rebounding seems to translate from level to level as well. 
and he's going to be great at both of those. I mean, the Andre comparison is one that you're going to hear a lot. It's absolutely warranted. They're very similar. Tad will never say this, but I would think he's probably more excited about Bay as well because he's exactly the type of player that he loves. I mean, you always hear him talk about defensive and rebounding. Those are the things that are most important to him. We have not had that stopper in years past, um, and the defense has still been good. So it's exciting to be able to have that guy back in the program because you could really make your defense uh, next level, elite level um, type of defense uh, around the country. So um, Schwartz is a terrific player. Um, it's really important as well because he's a local guy. Anytime you can get the best players out of Colorado, that's super important. Um, I think really from a, from a recruiting perspective as well, there were a lot of teams that came after him and ended up shying away simply because they knew where he was going to go. And I think that bodes well for us as well. You know, it's nice to have someone like that, you know, look around, get a lot of options, and in the end say, home is where I want to be. I mean, I think that's important too. So, yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what you like in a prospect. I think Schwartz is the safer guy, absolutely. But Bay is the more upside potential, absolutely, no doubt. I had mentioned on a previous podcast about Bay's inconsistencies as an offensive player, and I was – uh, in communication a lot with Josh Gershon, who's one of Scouts' national basketball recruiting analysts, he said he's really improved his offensive game in the last year, which just begs me to wonder why in the world it was not, everybody not going after this kid, given his skill set, if, if he's now not such a de- doesn't have such a deficiency on the offensive end. Yeah, I mean, I think he had a long way to go there. And but he still he, does. But again, he so I think most people were concerned the most about San Diego State for him. There's a reason that those two are at the top of that us and him them were at the top of his list. He's a perfect fit for that style. Um, not a lot of other teams on the West Coast play that brand of basketball. I think, and again, I'll just keep pointing to it. I think that's incredibly important. He felt really comfortable in the system. He knew what his job was going to be, and he wasn't going to be asked to do something he wasn't capable of. That type of stuff matters in basketball, especially. And then with uh, Deshaun Schwartz, you got to like the polish he has on the offensive yeah. game. He's not the most explosive guy. He's not going to jump out of the gym, but very crafty guy mm-hmm. that just kind of knows where to get to where he needs to get to on the court to be able to score the basketball. Yeah, much improved shooter, which is important for him at this level because, as you mentioned, he's not the greatest athlete ever, so he's got to be able to score from the outside too. But, yeah, as you mentioned, really good handle for a guy his size for his position as well. Gets into the paint extremely well. He's uh, a good passer as well from inside. He sees the floor. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be kind of a unique type of player for our team. We don't really have anybody like that on the roster right now, which uh, bodes well for him. I mean, he fits he fits something we need we need in the roster. Um, he's going to play right away, and he's gotten a lot better. And his his uh, reputation nationally has kind of gone up and down throughout the years. It feels like a little bit, but somehow he's always he, when you go see him in the large events, people are always talking about how he's performing. And people have used it as a critique of him that, oh, he only shows out when good players are behind him. That's a positive. You want a guy who can play team basketball and do whatever he needs to on the court for a team to be successful, especially at this level. I don't think he's a guy who's probably ever going to lead your team in scoring. But if he can do what he needs to for everybody else to succeed, you love that guy on your team. And usually when guys put out like commitment videos and do the whole hat ceremony, it's very self-centered and kind of seems egotistical. What I loved about the video that uh, Deshaun Schwartz put together for his commitment, not only the production value was pretty yeah, it was impressive, awesome, man. but he was basically putting all the things people have said about him that he's not very good at and he's not hiding from that stuff. And it seems like you want a guy that can hear that stuff, take it in, and use it to get better. Mm-hmm. And it's clear, based off that video, that's exactly Deshaun Schwartz's mindset. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I mean, you know, because I'll... 
I'll tell you what you need to work on, you know what I mean, like, as as a fan. So some of the guys have not loved that in the past, as we've seen. So Deshaun Schwartz um, isn't going to be dressed up as Tyler Ziskin for Halloween. I don't basically. think so. <laughs> maybe I can get on his next video, maybe I'll have – Maybe I'll be on there instead of you as a guy who helps him get better. No, he'll have he'll have a, another section for for the guys he doesn't like. Yeah, no, okay. no thanks to you guys. Yeah, right? no, I, mean, I, just, I think I think that's a good sign. Um, there have been some guys in the program in the past, and I wasn't even really thinking about Josh honestly, but um, that shy away from that stuff and didn't like being criticized. And I think it's important as a basketball player, especially in today's day and age, people are going to talk about you. It's social media. Um, if you can use that as fuel and get better, I think that. Only bodes for only bodes well for him in the future. Well, we got more Michigan talk coming. We got the Buff Stampede mailbag. We're going to answer your questions as we always do. Uh, we've got Tyler Ziskin's Pac-12 power rankings that we need to update. But before we jump into all that, I had a chance to catch up with junior wide receiver Shea Fields. Here's that interview with Shea Fields. Here with Shea Fields. Shea, uh, what's the the mindset of this team as you guys are getting closer to that game out at Michigan? Uh, I mean, nothing really special. It's another game on our calendar that we're just uh, worried about the game plan, just trying to get this right first, just go out and handle business on Saturday. Any extra emotion that, that, that comes because of this game, obviously, going, going to Michigan, uh, playing in front of 100,000 fans? Uh, no extra emotion, really. It's just another team on our schedule, like I said. Uh, but the most important team is us, so we got to take care of us first and then just go out. Michigan's a good team, but, um, I mean, every team can be beat. So. I'm sure you've seen the play with yeah. Michael Westbrook. Uh, you going to try to do your best Westbrook impression this, this Saturday? <laughs> I mean, it probably won't be as great as him, but uh, I'll probably just do what I can and try to be like him. But just do, do, do what I can, encourage other receivers, and we'll work as a core. Your receivers groups played pretty well this season. How would you kind of assess what you guys have done through two games? Uh, I say it's good, but it's not enough. Not enough. Uh, I feel we can make more plays, make more things happen with the ball in our hands. and. Uh, we just gotta, we just gotta be able to get it down first. If we get it down, everything else will come later. You've had more than 70 receiving yards in each of the first two mm -hmm. games. A couple feet away from having a couple touchdowns. <laughs> Have Philip and uh, Evan, Kyle Evans, thanked you for those touchdowns yet? And no, I still haven't got a thank you from them. But uh, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they're happy. We got points on the board. That's all that matters. Seems like there's a good kind of combination of competition and camaraderie within that receivers group. You even have kind of a nickname. Uh, talk about what you guys as a group uh, and maybe how it could be different than, than years past, or is it similar? Uh, it's, it's, it's really similar. I mean, we've, we've always had that bond from uh, when we first got here and then the incoming freshman and then the class after that, well, this year. But uh, I feel everybody's everybody's jailed together. We all We all know each other quite well. We get along, and in the meetings we have fun, but we're serious at the same time. It's just one of those incidents where everything comes together as a receiving core, and you really don't care who catches the ball. You just want to protect your teammates. I think I saw it on social media. You call you guys, yourselves the, the Black Up Boys. Uh -huh. Is that correct? Yeah. How, how did that nickname come about? Uh, it was kind of when Jawan came in. We kind of waited for him to get here, and then we all kind of wanted to figure out what would be a good name for us, and we just chose the Black Up Boys. So. Who's the, the, the leader of the group? Uh, I would say the upperclassmen. The upperclassmen, we try to step it up, uh, push the younger guys, help also the juniors out and the sophomores. But no, we really don't have a design leader. We're all we're all just trying to lead each other and lead ourselves. And with Coach Chev coming in, what what changes have you seen in that meeting room within your group with with him taking over? Uh, it, it's more intense, more intense, a more film study, more uh, paying attention to details. You would say is um, he, he's really big on paying attention to details and looking at what schemes will fit here and what players we can work against and get mismatches. So it's just one of those things where film study is more important than on the field. And then when we get on the field, that's more important than film study. 
it seems like your tempos had the first two opponents kind of mm -hmm. on their heels. How do you ha duplicate that th this weekend in Michigan? What are the keys to having an up-tempo against a quality team? Coming out and practicing. Uh, I mean, they, they're they a huddle team, so they so you can't really replicate this tempo, as Coach Shev would say. Uh, it's just we just have to come out and work as fast as we can in practice. That way it translates over to the game, and we can work as fast as we can against them. A couple of the receivers have talked about the, there's a competition for blocking going on with that. <laughs> Who's what, what, kind of, what are the standings at in that competition through two weeks? Uh, well, I mean, I'm leading right now. Uh, okay. We have a – it's called a knockdown board. Okay. Uh, who can get the most people on the ground and blocking. Uh, right now it's me with two, I want to say. Bryce with one, Justin with one. And I think that's the top three right now. It, you guys are blocking well. Is this <laughs> is this paying off in terms of uh, th that motivation to, to block? Oh, yeah, it's paying off, especially, uh, like I said before, one of those things where you want to keep all your teammates safe. So if we can block, we can get points on the board. Do you know what the, the payoff there is? Is there a trophy involved here? Uh, he hasn't told us yet. I hope there is, but uh, <laughs> we'll just have to find out at the end of the season who has more. Awesome. Thanks, Shay. Thank you. All right. That was uh, Shay Fields. He's had a, a decent start to the year. He's had over 70 receiving yards in the first two games, and his in both games has gone just short of getting a touchdown, which is interesting because uh, before the season started, Brian Howell and I from the Boulder Daily Camera get so bored. I mean, they're close practices. We just hang out there and talk, and we've got to find ways to spice up the season. So I made a really bad bet, and it's not for money. Obviously, we're keeping it professional here. It's a soda bet. Just It's more for... Uh, for our pride, I guess, than anything. <laughs> but um, I picked uh, Shea Fields to have more touchdowns than Philip Lindsay this season. Not looking so good right no, now. No, it's not. That is not for sure. And it, I will it, say it, he's got a lot of pass interference calls in his favor as well, which matters. I mean, those are all that all adds up. It's not going to show up on the stats, but he had two in that game last weekend. Well, I knew I very early in the first game of the season I, I had a bad feeling about this because Shea Fields uh, gets his touchdown overturned, and, of course, they hand it off to Philip Lindsay. I'm like, going. <laughs> FML. That's <laughs> <laughs> ah, all right. Maybe in a Pac-12 play, I think you'll see a lot more passing. I mean, they're trying to churn out the game in these early ones. I think once yeah. the once the level of opponent moves up, I think you'll have a chance to sneak up on them a little bit. All right, we'll see. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. At King underscore Jack 3 asked, do you see the so far dominant CU defense slowing down a so far dominating Michigan offense? Uh Slowing down, maybe. Yeah, not definitely not stopping. Oh yeah, I mean, if we give up ten points in this game, I'm just I'm not watching any more football. <laughs> That's as good as it's gonna get. So it's a drop yeah, the mic moment for they're you. They're not gonna give up sixty points, so they're gonna slow them down. I mean, I hope they don't. At least they're gonna slow them down. Um, I don't know if necessarily I'll say they'll win that battle. I mean, I think anytime let's uh, I predicted them to give up thirty-seven. So uh, you know, obviously that's not winning the battle, but I do think it's an improvement over any of the defenses they've seen thus far. Yeah, I mean, there's there's chances. You know, it's always about turnovers. If you can force a, two a few turnovers, the game can change quickly. So we'll see how opportunistic they are. Getting to the pass will be important, I think, as well. They haven't done a great job of that in the first two games. So we'll see how that works out. Derek McCartney coming back for this week, hopefully, will um, assist there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think overall you can expect them to give up quite a few more points than we've seen so far in the season, but less than what Michigan's been scoring. 
Michigan rushed for over 300 yards against Hawaii in the opener. They throw for over 300 against UCF. I don't think it would be going on too much of a limb to say that they're not getting 300 in either of those categories against Colorado. Uh, we're going to talk more about this in our video preview, but I think we both agree the strategy defensively is to stop the run and then basically dare Wilton Spate to, to do – uh, to beat you over the air. Of course, he did it against UCF, but I, and I don't know UCF's personnel a whole lot in the secondary, but they didn't win a game last year. You've got to imagine that Colorado is going to have much better luck if they have that type of the, a similar strategy going into the game. At Kirk P. Schmidt asked, any weaknesses for Michigan that CU could exploit? I think the biggest one I've seen is just their run defense could be susceptible. Yeah, which helps us a little bit. I mean, I think our run game is definitely competent, but maybe not elite yet. So uh, being able to move the ball on the ground is going to be important. Hopefully get some of those third and shorts, um, you know, where Cepho, you know, he can get those third and twos. Devin Ross has proven to be really successful in there. Jay McIntyre, those type of plays, you can see a little bit more of those um, if we get into those third and shorts. Um, yeah, I mean, I think their, their ability to run the ball, they did it well in week one. Um, week two, they struggled a bit, though, only 2.9 yards per carry against UCF. I would not think UCF has the world's greatest run defense. Again, I don't know much about them, but, you know, that makes you feel like maybe we can be a little successful there. I don't think you have to give up 2.9 yards per carry, but anything under four, I think um, you have to live with. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. I mean, I think the run defense has been a little bit maybe better than we uh, expected going in. We knew we would be improved, but I think it's really nice to see um, how successful they've been, especially against CSU, where we expected them to have a really potent run game. So I, I think those are the two that we've seen so far. Even all that said, I don't think this Michigan team necessarily has any glaring weaknesses that oh, you're yeah. just going to completely yeah, I mean, pick on. They're number four in the country for a reason. They're, they definitely have a whole lot of uh, big holes, definitely not. At RX Ricardo asked, how many touchdowns do we beat Michigan by? Two or three? Yeah, well, I love the, the, love the optimism there. You're missing the negative. Yeah, so negative two or three is more likely than winning by two or three. I do love the optimism. If that happens, where are we going to be ranked next week? You're going to definitely have more than two AP votes. That's We're going to sure. be ranked if, they, if we beat Michigan on the road by three touchdowns. <laughs> At a wildish 18 asked, how are all the new tailgating options in Buff Walk with the construction finally completed? Uh, I went straight to the press box, didn't see any of that stuff. Uh, they sent out a tweet that the buff walk was a success, uh, I don't know any more than that. Yeah, honestly, I don't either. I was in the law building um, tailgate lot. We walked up right before game time. It took us a while to get in, actually. Uh, I walked in like 13 seconds before the kickoff, so that was great timing. I, heard, I did hear that it was tough to get into the stadium, not just where we were, but everywhere closer to the buff walk as well, so hopefully that gets improved upon. Um, having more people in the stadium will do that, so it's somewhat a positive thing, but you also have to be able to handle those crowds. I did have one uh, one buddy, uh, my boss actually, Chris, was in the indoor practice facility, um, said it was a fantastic, a lot of awesome facilities, and the tailgating stuff on the outside lot, I guess, was really awesome as well. Uh, they kind of do the whole thing for you, set you up, make it really easy, take it down for you so you don't have to do that, and then rush into the stadium. So based on everything that I've heard, it, it was pretty successful, um, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, they have six more games to figure it out, or five more games to figure it out. All right, at CU at Folsom asked, I've seen Tyler's going. Are you going to Ann Arbor? Obviously asking me that. Also, what did you do for a shout-out? Thanks on Deshaun Schwartz's video. I'm actually, this is the only road game that we're not going to have somebody actually covering from the press box, which is kind of sad. Um, I'm an idiot. I waited too long to book, and it got it's expensive. really, really, really expensive. And so I can 
cover three road games for what it would cost to cover this one. So that's where we're at. I'm going to be watching the game with staff writer Patrick Godosi. We're actually going to do like a post-game podcast recap. We did that last year after the UCLA game. A lot of people like that. So after the game, we're going to throw it out to Twitter and get some reactions and, and questions that we're going to include on that podcast. So we're going to make the best of the situation. If they pull off the upset, though, I'm still going to be kicking myself for not yeah. bucking up for for expensive I'll try travel. to I'll try to keep you guys entertained via Twitter, but it won't be of the professional variety, most <laughs> likely. So be forewarned. In terms of the shout out, thanks on Deshaun Schwartz video. I've written articles about Deshaun, and he was thanking everybody that's written things about him. All right, we have another question here. Nate at Nate Holt four. Does Tyler Bay still plan on taking his other visits after committing to the Buffs? No, I. Everything I've heard is he's shut it down. He saw what he needed to see in Boulder. Uh, he did have those earlier scheduled visits with San Diego State and Arizona State, and it was kind of a weird setup is they were so spread out. Mm-hmm. Usually, especially with the early signing period coming up not too long from now, you kind of usually want to knock those out and then decide. Um, so I, I guess it wasn't the biggest surprise that he kind of changed course based off how random that, that visit schedule was in the first place. Yeah, and people kind of – basketball recruiting is totally different. There are not a whole lot of decommitments in basketball recruiting um, in comparison to football especially. So usually when you see someone commit, they end up signing there. It's it's a pretty rare situation. Otherwise, Tyler Bay seems to feel really comfortable with Tad Boyle and this program. So I would be surprised to see him take any more visits. One more question here before we move back to more Michigan talk. At Andy Wright, CU asked, any updates on Evan Batty for the trifecta? Well, Evan Batty also has visits, and in, in he's planning to go out to Miami this weekend and then Purdue the following weekend. And then it sounds like at that point he's going to decide, okay, am I ready to decide or am I going to take those last two visits? There's still quite a few other schools that are still recruiting him. I would be pretty shocked, though, if it doesn't come down to Colorado, Miami, or Purdue. You like where Miami or where Colorado sits with him right now, but there's always kind of that feeling when a kid has a couple more trips that they might forget about some of the things that stood out to them about their, yeah, their mean, first trip. He's definitely a little more open right now, which is fine. I mean, you can't expect everybody to commit to you right away, I guess. Um, he's got a lot of legitimate options. I will say, I, th- I think Miami is a much better fit for him. He he had some candid responses about what he loved about each program, uh, and he talked about Purdue using their big men really well, which is 100% true, but they don't have the type of big man that he is. He's not 7 feet tall, 280 pounds, lumbery type guy. He's really agile for his weight, um, a little bit shorter, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, range. Uh, I don't. They, it would be a unique skill set for him to go to Purdue. He doesn't really fit what they do, in my opinion. So I, I think it'll probably... Miami, you'll you'll find out, will get some more pub from him once he sees exactly how Purdue plans to use him. That's just my opinion, though. How do you think, what do you think Tad Boyle's sales pitch was to all three of those guys in terms of, I mean, we know Deshaun Schwartz and Tyler Bay, their games mesh pretty well. They can be on the court together. They can both defend multiple positions. What, what do you think his sales pitch was to Batty in terms of fitting in with those guys? Obviously, he's more of a, a big man, but not a traditional big man. Yeah, he looks at the roster. I mean, we have a lot of tweeners that have been successful. I mean, Wesley Gordon's probably going to be our center this year for all intents and purposes, and he's not a big guy either. He's a guy who's going to be really successful and has had a great career at Colorado. We figured out how to use him. Not quite the same level of versatility offensively, but he is becoming more and more versatile every single year, shooting the ball from three a little bit more this year, asking to handle and pass. So I think that he can see how bad he's going to be used, or bad he can see how he's going to be used in this system. Poyle has done a for as long as I can remember, has done a really good job of taking guys that don't necessarily have a true position and finding ways to make them successful. That's kind of how he's built his program. So from that perspective, that would have absolutely been my pitch to him is that 
you don't need to have a position here. We'll find a way to use you. You're skilled. It's awesome to talk about this basketball recruiting, but hey, it's football season. They're going to play at Michigan this weekend. I'm going to kind of tease my Q&A with Michigan beat writer Josh Hensky. He was uh, very high on Wilton Spate. Uh, he won the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week this year. He's Michigan's quarterback. He set career highs in every passing category against UCF. I don't know if I'm quite buying Spate yet. Uh, I'm actually not either. So I guess the more and more we talk about this game, I feel like we have some matchup, not necessarily advantages, but I, I feel like we are equipped to handle them a little bit more than maybe I'm giving us credit for the more we get into it. So um, we'll know really quickly how elite our secondary is because it looks pretty elite. I mean, they're not, not it's not like the, the quarterbacks are bad, but you're watching these guys match up against wide receivers. There's not a lot of open space, man. I mean, they're shutting down everybody they've seen so far. Um, and we'll know pretty quick if they can do the same thing against Michigan. We got ourselves a really impressive secondary on our hands, so we'll see. You mentioned that Taco Charlton and Brian Money are, are two starters on the defensive line that are hurt, aren't expected to play this week, and also mentioned it's possible for All-American defensive back Jordan Lewis to be out. He was out with uh, during camp with a back injury, has a muscle strain in his leg now. They've got Jabril Peppers still back there, a versatile guy, defensive end. Chris Wormley, he called a monster. He blocked two field goals last week. So they definitely have pieces back there, but it sounds like uh, they're banged up a little bit uh, on their front line. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that, you know, any you don't want guys to get hurt, obviously, but you take the advantages where you can get them. Yeah, I mean, I think it bodes well for our offense to maybe move the ball a little bit. I think it'll be really important for us to have some successful first quarter drives, kind of show this team that, oh, you're not just going to run away from us early. You look at the score of the game's that they've played in the first quarter. Both of the teams have been up quite a bit after the first quarter already. Um, so I think, you know, keeping that first quarter close and letting Michigan know that they're going to have to play four quarters in order to win the game is important. What percentage chance do you give Colorado to pull off the upset if you're given an honest number here? Not high, like 10 to 15%, which is probably higher than I would even truly feel um, are the are the – chances um you know just looking at it like would they beat michigan one out of ten times probably not i mean it, it the the road thing is so big in college football it's a huge huge first test huge step up in talent uh, in terms of who you're playing i guess i'd be the most comfortable saying somewhere around 10 percent maybe this is a homer percentage here but i was gonna go 18 percent tell okay <laughs> i like the number <laughs> What would your percentage have been before the season? After, before, I should say, before seeing those first two games? Uh, pretty close to zero. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely give them more of a chance than they have now, or than I would have two weeks ago, 100%. I don't know. You just, the on the road upsets for teams that are ranked in the top five is just so rare. I mean, you look at the stats of how many times this happened around the country. I mean, for CU, we haven't done it in since the last time we were at Michigan. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a long stretch. Um, most teams around the country don't win a whole lot of top five games on the road either. So just from a numbers perspective, it's hard to really throw that out there as a legitimate possibility. But I would love for us to prove me wrong. I would have said eight percent. Eight before a snowman, just All like right. my uh, golf scorecard. You just love the eights <laughs> today, huh? Love the eights. All right, Tyler, weekly Pac-12 power rankings. Let's do it, huh? All right. So first. I didn't change anything because I'm boring. Stanford. Oh, I'm gonna do it. we're going to do it backwards, aren't we? Yeah. All right, we'll do it backwards. 12. Well, now just all the suspense just, is just out the no, window. Just, People yeah, are just going to fast just forward. Just get it. rid of it. Um, number 12, 
probably no probably no suspense here either. Washington State sitting there pretty at 0-2. Probably should have won that game <laughs> against Boise State. Uh, a lot of terrible clock management down the stretch. Um, a lot of dumb whatever you want to call it throughout the game as well. Um, got themselves down in a hurry. Uh, they are in a world of hurt right now. <laughs> I mean, listen to Mike Leach uh, rambling on about how his players are being targeted by the police. Um, well, he also said they're, they're the he basically intimated that they're 0-2 because kids get participation ribbons now growing up playing football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just, you know, not surprising it's Mike Leach, but yeah, has been a little bit of a tear, so you kind of have to feel like they're, overall, they're not doing so well as a program right now. We'll see if they can turn it around at any point. Um, 11 Oregon State didn't play last week. They get the vaunted Idaho State Bengals this upcoming weekend. Uh, so we'll see how how they can do. How much um, would you be encouraged from Colorado standpoint if Idaho State goes up there and not wins, but actually like competes against Oregon State? I mean, if they keep it within 20, I think that would be a really good sign. I don't think that's going to happen, but if they did, that'd be awesome. Arizona at number 10, they definitely dropped for me compared to last week. That was one hell of an ugly football game last weekend, down 21-7 to to Grambling at halftime. Um, I was reading a report talking about how great their backup quarterback looked in the second half. I was like, yeah, it was against Grambling. So he probably should. Uh, Manny Wilkins, I think, is his name. Oh, no, that's, that's uh, yeah, isn't that right? Or is that or Arizona State? Whoever their backup was, I forget. They, they, they had a huge piece on him talking about how great he was. And I was like, okay, you, you can't be losing to Grambling by 14 at halftime, but whatever. They've been ugly um, so far. They look like their offense is really going to have some issues overall. Cal, total opposite. They're at number nine for me. Their defense is atrocious. Uh, I don't really see that changing throughout the year. Uh, they passed for 500-plus yards and passed 72 times and still lost fairly comfortably. So that's interesting for me. Um, USC, big bounce-back game. Utah State, uh, they probably needed that mentally. If you ask me, would they beat most of the other teams in the Pac-12 South outside of UCLA right now, I'd probably say yes, but it's a power ranking, so it's what have you done for me in the first two weeks, and they looked really terrible in week one, so they're still at number eight. Um, I have Utah at number seven. 2-0, actually have a somewhat impressive win, I guess you could say, against BYU, at least a legitimate contender, uh, but their offense is quite suspect. They turned the ball over six times against BYU and still somehow managed to win. They also fumbled three additional times and recovered it. So that is probably not going to win you a whole lot of ball games. Um, I still just, their defense is terrific. Uh, obviously kept them in that game. But again, I just don't love how their team translates into the Pac-12. you got to be able to score at some point, in my opinion. Um, that's kind of why I have Arizona State at six. Tiebreaker over Utah because they can score the ball. They can't guard anybody, but it's nice to know that they're able to score. Caleb Balazs doing eight, big things. Eight touchdowns. That hurt the heart a little bit for sure. But, yeah, I mean, their offense looks great, legitimately good. Their defense looks terrible. Having that game at home, I think, gives us a pretty distinct advantage at the moment. I have us at five. Couldn't really ask for two better performances, honestly. Um, I don't think we're the fifth best team in the Pac-12 probably, but they actually dominated in two games, deserve to be up there for now. Don't, don't mean to cut you off, but you said they probably don't deserve to be that high. But – and again, you always have to kind of qualify it. It's only two games. But you can, I think, say confidently, Colorado is a better football team than Arizona, Oregon State, Washington State, and... Maybe Cal? Cal. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the odds would say that that's true. If you were doing a power um, ranking on, on how you expect the season to finish, would you put them with those four teams below them? Probably. 
Maybe not Arizona, maybe not Arizona, just because I think it's early and they okay. they have a little more talent than the other three that you mentioned. But yeah, I mean, I think they would definitely be in the single digits, which in years past they would not have been. So, um, anyways, back to it. I've uh, UCLA at four again. That I their loss in week one did not really discourage me all that much. They had some key mistakes. They really had a chance to win that game on the road. Would have been a big win. Last week, took care of a UNLV team that's improving pretty easily. Um, they weren't terrific by any means, but took care of business. So I still have them at the mo- as the most likely team to win the South at this current moment. Um, I have Oregon at three. Not really a whole lot to be in love with last week, honestly. Virginia's terrible, um, but they seem like they can score the ball pretty well, and they haven't had any issues, and a lot of the other teams in the Pac-12 have had. So just kind of by default, they're sitting up there at three for me at the moment. I have Washington at two. Um, they've looked great so far. Um, I was kind of a seller on them early in the year, and you don't really know. They haven't played great competition, but they do look really talented, so have to give them credit where it's due. Uh, I have Stanford at one. I think they're the best team talent-wise. Uh, we're going to find out a lot about them really quick. Their next five games are USC, UCLA, at Washington, Washington State, and at North at Notre Dame. Wow. Yeah, so <laughs> we're going to find out really quick what kind of team. I mean, if they somehow run the table, they're – Got to be a playoff contender. Driver's seat. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it, it, even if they go 4-1, and one, they should still be in the top 10. That's a brutal five-game uh, five stretch. Um, we'll see how it works out for them, definitely. All right, got to give a shout-out to former Buff offensive lineman David Bakhtiari. He agreed to terms on a four-year contract extension with the Green Bay Packers worth up to $51.67 million. That's uh, set you up for the rest of your life money right there. Oh, for sure. Uh, people were not pleased when he left early. Kind of the same reaction that Andre got in basketball. I need a little, um, not a, a heaping plate of crow, but a little side of crow. Oh yeah, I mean, I was definitely, I wasn't surprised based on his projections. And in, in football, I mean, you're somewhere around around three or four most of the time. People are going to go, and the program was really not in great shape, so I kind of understood it. But at the same time, I didn't see him making fifty one million dollars in the NFL on a four year contract. So props to him, man. That's awesome for the program. It's especially awesome for him. Um, he's been a great guy. He's really quirky. If you follow him on Twitter, he's really funny. Um, and he still throws out a couple go buffs every once in a while, so I respect that a lot. He's not listing um, off his high school anymore when he gets introduced at the beginning I'm, of He might be, but he's games. allowed to do that. I don't, no, he's, he's put Colorado he's back in there. I just don't care why people – like, he can switch it up. It's fine. He's from both schools. It's okay. It does kind of project, though, that you didn't have the best college experience, which I can see as – be an alumni, a fan of a school that would get under your skin. I don't know if I would necessarily take it to the extreme of hating <laughs> that player because he did it, though. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you never did it, like if you never mentioned Colorado, that's one thing. But some of the guys just go back and forth or, you know, have just wanted to throw out to, you know, a lot of these people have great relationships with their high schools, too. I, I get it. It's fine. So Dave Platty puts out his uh, fake depth chart and everybody got kind of a chuckle here around Colorado. And then the thing just goes completely <laughs> viral. Yeah, people got, they didn't get a chuckle around Colorado. They got a chuckle around everything. Yeah. There's a lot of people rooting for us this weekend solely because of that depth chart. It was pretty funny. It also made me feel um, kind of young because I didn't know a few of the names. I had to look at the bottom to figure out where they were from. Okay. So I, maybe I'm young or stupid, one of the two. I don't know. <laughs> um, I was kind of getting a chuckle out of a few of the quarterbacks uh, having to get the ball hiked from the centers because... They basically just have their nose right up the dude's butt. That's how much smaller they were than the guy playing center. So that was entertaining to me. Um, yeah. I really like some of the name of the positions. Weak safety had me rolling. 
that was really hilarious. The wide receiver and thin receiver had me going pretty good, too. I thought that was great. Um, I think there was a one quarterback instead of halfback, and then there was also some one of the corners was... Romer some, Dude is yeah, pretty Romer, awesome. Yeah, Romer Dude. Yeah, which was uh, Bill Walton, I believe. And the Big Lebowski. Yeah, so it was pretty funny. Shout out to Dave Platty, who's not normally someone you would expect to do something like this for doing that. It was great. We got a lot of national press for it, and I love that. We also had a, a fun on Tuesday. Scout and some other national media outlets picked up on this. The Jim Harbaugh Boogergate. Listen, all I'm going to say about this is that if you feel the need to have a press conference... It was, no, it was on, to, his, it was on his radio show. Fine. Either way. If you feel the need to like really have a 10-minute conversation about what you were doing, you were 100% eating the booger. Like, you just let that thing go. Yeah, but Tyler, there's actually video evidence. There's video evidence of a million coaches doing this, and most of them just don't care. You just got to let it go, man. I think it's pretty clear he didn't have deep penetration. I don't think there was yes. any any booger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no deep penetration. Uh, in his nose, Tyler. He ate uh, He ate that booger, though. There was no booger there. Okay, but what was he doing and putting his mouth afterwards anyway? Even if there's no booger. Like he said, it's he just, had It's just a, a weird transition. Like he said, he wanted to bite his fingernail. Nah, dude. He didn't even bite his fingernail. That's so weak. Come at me with something better. We'll be talking more about Jim Harbaugh. On another podcast. I think there was coming up today. I haven't had a chance to go back and rewatch the Idaho State game, but there are some people saying that Jim Levitt might have had a little nose action going yeah, on. Yeah, dude, that's his. what I heard. I'm telling you, it happens all the time. So why is he making a big deal out of it? You just gotta I feel like multiple times a year someone gets caught picking it. Like Chase Daniel forever was famous for picking his nose in college. He was a booger eater. Yeah, for sure. So you got you got to find some privacy when you're going to clean out the the system there. Yeah, man. Someone's got to put Kleenex on the sidelines, save these people from their embarrassment. And you had Cam Newton flossing his teeth. Yeah, why? That's so weird. He had something stuck in his teeth. Yeah, but can he just handle that later? I don't know. But I also think it's weird that people get mad about it. Like, why do you care? <laughs> Who cares if he's flossing? It's weird, but people like legitimately like getting mad about his complacency. It's just like, all right, dude, you care too much. Just calm down. Obviously, we're going to have to see what happens in Ann Arbor, see what Oregon does this weekend. You think there's any chance you're going to predict an upset next week? Yeah, I feel much more confident about the Oregon game than this upcoming game against Michigan. I feel like we really match up with them well, and their defense is terrible. Something that, Michigan's defense is not terrible, so that makes it tougher. I mean, I think if we can have success running the ball in Oregon, that game will be much closer. I actually feel like that game could be very close. All right, well, I think we did a pretty good job there of breaking down the main storylines with Colorado football, men's basketball, recruiting. We've got a video preview coming your way late on Friday that will get you ready for the big game. Thanks for tuning in. Start it. Start it from the bottom, now we're here. Start it from the bottom, now my whole team here. Start it from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here Started from the bottom, now we here